Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Joe Biden now has his own classified document scandal to deal with. Russia attacks Dnipro, potentially committing yet another war crime in the process. And we'll talk about Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson's friendship and apparent message coordination. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast at didnothingwrongpod.com. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. We've got a great show for you today. Thanks for tuning in. Joe Biden has found himself in the midst of his own classified document scandal. First, there were reports of classified material located in his previous offices at the Penn Biden Center. Then, there was a second discovery of documents at Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware. These documents came from Biden's time as vice president during the Obama administration. And last Thursday, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed former U.S. Attorney Robert Herr as a special counsel to investigate this case. How is this case similar to the investigation Trump is facing, and how does it differ? Well, it's similar in that we have a special counsel looking at each, and it's clear that if you're going to get a special counsel appointed, something inappropriate occurred. There is certainly reason for this look into what Biden may have known or what his aides or people around him may have taken, may have improperly handled, may not have followed proper procedures and protocols. And there is a potential indictment here. And I don't I don't know that it's going to be something that ties directly to Biden, but it is possible and it's why they're looking and. Obviously, it's a sensitive case, and it comes at a at a bad time for Biden. They didn't need this right now, especially with everything that's that's being looked at with Trump and how how much the right has pushed back on on Trump's handling of these documents. They've said it's a nothing burger, another witch hunt, another just attempt to bring Trump down. And then the left has understandably called that out and and said they're wrong and said there's some serious breaches of protocol here and and Trump refused to hand over materials. And there were some statements that they made where, oh, everything had been returned and it hadn't. And they had, they had lied about where it was being stored. So I, I don't think we're in any way saying that there shouldn't have been a special counsel for Trump and, and they that Jack Smith shouldn't keep looking into who knew what there. But it's a bad look for Biden and it's it's unfortunate and yeah there are, there are less documents involved here the i guess the potential scandal is is on a smaller scale but we know the right is not going to treat it that way no. we can guess and we have seen the sort of narratives that they're they're putting out there about this right right they have said everything from Biden was trying to smuggle documents to Ukraine to Biden is fishing this stuff out for China, when it really starts to look like, based on the way the Biden team has handled this since it broke, somebody may have just made a mistake. And these documents may have been you know, improperly packed. Really, the self-reporting of the whole thing is in a huge contrast with how, like you said, Trump handled it with 
the idea of first saying there was nothing there, then saying it was mine and I declassified it and turning it into like a year-long lawsuit process to try and get anything back, whereas the Biden people went right to National Archives and said, uh, hey, we messed up. We have these documents. We shouldn't have them. What do we do now? Yeah, and there have been some conflicting statements about when they handed that over or when exactly they should have released that information and made it public. There's a little bit of uncertainty in terms of the messaging that's coming out of the Biden White House, but it does appear that they've been cooperating, that they have been following the proper procedures once they realized these documents were there. But yeah, the optics of it, again, just aren't great because you not only do you have these documents that are found at the Penn Biden Center, you have shortly afterwards, there's documents found at, at Joe's Wilmington home. And yeah, the right doesn't need much to turn it into a much bigger scandal. <laughs> so it's unfortunate. And this is really something that it just looks like rank hypocrisy. One of the ways that the right is already weaponizing this. So the, the the first batch of documents were found at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy. Joe Biden had an office there after he was vice president. These documents ended up there and they're they're recently uncovered and then they report this. But what the right is doing here, and I've seen this, it's on the New York Post, it's it's on Bannon's show, it's on Gateway Pundit and various other right-wing media sources are putting this out there is this idea that the Penn Biden center somehow ties into China (laughs) because it's a common narrative for them, but it's also one that they've, it's incredibly convoluted and I'll, I'll break it down this way. So Joe Biden did work at the Penn Biden center after he was vice president. This is where the documents were. The University of Pennsylvania has received more than $30 million in donations from Chinese donors. And these appear to be anonymous. This is coming from the New York Post. And the Penn-Biden Center issued a statement saying they have never solicited or received any gifts from any Chinese or any other foreign entity. In fact, the university has never solicited any gifts for the center. Which I believe, I don't have any reason to to not believe, but the, the way this works is the Penn Biden Center gets its funding from Penn University. Penn University received these donations from Chinese donors. And in the right-wing media space, Joe Biden is either compromised or he's fully controlled by right. Xi and the Chinese Communist Party to the extent that he, he doesn't wake up in the morning without their approval. And and I I wish I was exaggerating, but this is this is where they go. So if there's any way to trace money back to China and relay it to Biden, they're gonna do it. And I've even seen them some of them are going to this point that, well, we don't we don't know who could have had access to these documents and we don't know who could have been in the offices and China donated all this money. So did they have just free, easy access and were these documents just left there so that the the Chinese could just walk on in and they've, they've donated enough money that why wouldn't they, they, I'm sure they just have free access <laughs> that you know, Chinese spies just <laughs> walk in and, Seems a little simplistic. It's not Mar-a-Lago after all. <laughs> they don't just have Chinese spies wandering through quite as easily. But 
But yeah, the, the, we can't just hand these files over in a in a parking lot somewhere. Not that I think that happened, but it, it can't be this simplistic, like, let's just have a secret rendezvous somewhere. It's, yeah, they China donated all this money, and then Biden... Oh, I left the documents and some Chinese spy who's already walking around the, the, the university in the Penn Biden Center because obviously they donated all this money and so they essentially run the place. <laughs> and then they found these documents and these documents, what were what did they entail? What did they what did they say? Who knows? But clearly it was some maybe it was a love note to to Xi, although I don't I don't know that, that Biden's the one <laughs> dealing in the love notes these days. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like any time a foreign leader said something nice about him, Trump made sure to keep that particular document out from his classified documents that he didn't turn over, including a, a love note from Kim Jong-un at one point. So, you know, Trump likes anybody who will say nice things about him, and that's just sort of the final proof of that. No matter how awful you are or how many of your own opponents you machine gun with anti-aircraft cannons— Trump will still love you as long as you say nice things about him. Well, that that is what they do in North Korea if you're a mm -hmm. if you're a traitor. And uh, thankfully for now, here we just tweet about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think our goal is to make sure it stays within the digital realm as much as possible and not not break out into right. the physical world. But yeah. So with Biden, they have they're they're trying to build up these these China narratives, and we know there's these uh, new House investigations that are gonna look into the the Biden the Biden crime family and all the all the ways that they're compromised by China supposedly and all this stuff. So it's it is just building off of that narrative, and any chance they get to kind of play that up, they're gonna do it. But it is an open question of, did Biden know about any of this? Was this a staffer? Was it a senior staffer? Was it a lower level staffer? Did somebody just right. forget the documents? Did somebody... And I think with some, some of the documents that, that Trump kept, there there is a question of, okay, these people are incompetent. We know. we Rudy Giuliani, Four Seasons uh, press conference. We know we're dealing with not not the A-list. Not the best and the brightest, as it were. No, no. I, they're, they're lacking. And some of them are, well, just fading, I guess we could say. But it's not... <laughs> Faded in some um, cases. We're not... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's plausible that they just didn't know what the hell they were doing and they could play dumb. But when you have Trump holding on to documents that are personal letters from Obama to him and a personal letter from the leader of North Korea to him, it's clear that this is something that Trump picked out and he wanted and he said, yeah, we're taking that and then the government said, no, you're not actually allowed to do that. And he said, no, I'm going to keep it. And and then all the arguments, the defenses of, well, the president can can declassify anything right, with his right. mind. He doesn't even need he doesn't even need to say it. He can just think it. Think that it's declassified and it's declassified. Oof. Exactly. We heard a lot of that. And now they've they've suddenly uh, stopped arguing that with Biden. Now it's they they've <laughs> you could you could play those clips uh, side by side where they, the, the president couldn't he can declassify anything. How could this even be a scandal? But now, of course, it's Joe Biden is selling America to China for pennies on the dollar. And and it's all part of the 
the scheme of the global elites, blah, 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 conspiracy gets deeper and deeper. As long as the big guy gets his 10%. <laughs> right, exactly. And um, yeah, so let's just, I think, is there is there a possibility of an indictment? Is there a possibility that Joe Biden knew about this? Joe Biden did something wrong. He uh, Could we get emails or communications that are that are released that are going to be problematic for him. And I, it, yeah, we could. And it, it's, um, it's not going to be indicted as president, but after office, could this be an issue for him? Yeah, it could. Well, and also I think I'd like to point out that we don't know what those documents are. It hasn't come out yet specifically what sort of classified information was in there. And kind of thankfully to some extent, because it's not good to, have it out there exactly what classified information as a country we've failed to secure evidently, but this could end up being, we do classify a lot of things. We do. This could end up being something relatively innocuous. I mean, it, it could. And some of the documents are a secret classification, which is honestly kind of run of the mill information. And it's, it's really Secret isn't all that secret. Let's just put it that way. There is right, some. Right. There are some documents which are top secret, compartmented information, which is it's a bigger deal and it's it's a problem. And I think if this had just been secret, we're not dealing with a special counsel. But the fact that we do have some top secret SCI documents means we have to look into into this that they have to do their due diligence it's a problem right and it could mean legal problems for biden or one of his aides or staffers and we'll have to see but i think it's also maybe worth pointing out yeah if we want to compare biden and trump here and what may or may not have been handed over is there reason for concern here well let's let's ask the question of why is the new LIV golf tour which is competing with the PGA tour why are they paying trump all of this money to have all these tournaments at his properties why is jared kushner getting a 2 billion dollar investment from the crown prince mbs in saudi arabia why and and let's let's not forget Jared Kushner is not just his son-in-law he was secretary of everything in in the Trump White House and there were plenty of stories about Jared's essentially indifference to handling top secret documents anything that should have been classified if he <laughs> if he was told you need to be careful with this. You need to take this seriously. You need to be concerned about your exposure and, and the counterintelligence threats that you faced. Every report about that saw Kushner downplaying the threat and essentially just not caring, not being concerned. It was not something that really bothered him too much and he gets out of the white house and there here's a nice two billion dollar check from the saudi arabian government mm -hmm. what's what's that about does that have to be related to anything that trump did no it doesn't but jared lost his clearance while he was a senior advisor in the white house because he didn't take this seriously because the Trump family just can't seem to be bothered by such things. And while it's clear that Biden or his people could have done something wrong here, and we can't just dismiss that, it is different because Trump 
refused to cooperate. And Trump has a very clear history of citing against U.S. intelligence. Trump has a a clear history of attacking the FBI, of not respecting those institutions, whereas Biden does. And and it doesn't mean he's perfect, and it doesn't mean he doesn't uh, make mistakes, but... The right's going to spend this how they're going to spend this. It would be nice if we could say, oh, it's it's just two political parties and they're rivals. But if you look at the actual outlook of this, you have Republicans and Democrats right now are enemies. Mm-hmm. And plenty of Republicans, plenty of those people aligned with Trump, consider a lot of Americans to be not just a rival for power, but an existential threat and an enemy that needs to be destroyed and will they partner with foreign adversaries to do it well we've seen plenty of evidence that they will yes we certainly have and speaking of foreign adversaries that would like to destroy us turns out the russians have been active again they had a missile attack in dnipro ukraine they hit an apartment building this time the latest death toll is 40 but there are a lot of people missing as rescue efforts continue However, based on the devastation, hope is running out. We can expect the death toll to continue to rise over the coming days. Since Russia's full-scale invasion of the country began in February of last year, there have been over 600 credible accusations of war crimes committed by Russian forces in Ukraine. So the question is, is this simply what happens in a modern war? Or are the people who say Russia is a terrorist state correct? Well, I absolutely think Russia is a terrorist state. I think going back years now, when you're assassinating dissidents or exiles in foreign countries, then you have to consider calling people committing terrorist acts terrorists. Because if you look at the poisoning of Sasha Litvinenko in the UK in 2006, well, that was done with radioactive polonium. And in 2018, we had the poisoning of the Scripples in the UK with Novichuk, which is a nerve agent. And I, I thought at the time, I think we probably agreed that mm-hmm. this is the, these are the acts of a terrorist state. I mean, you can just get that stuff at Walgreens, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, not hard to get, you know, polonium or Novichok at all. It's just, man. No, no big deal. Yeah. Just five ninety nine. You can probably get a coupon somewhere. Yeah. Don't, don't even worry about I'll look it. look around. God, yeah. There's only so many places in the world that have the capacity, have the capability, and the wherewithal to manufacture this stuff, and it's pretty much Russia. Yeah, and it and it comes from the KGB. The KGB had a poison factory. There is a book that I've read, and it's very good, titled The KGB's Poison Factory, which can tell you all about the KGB's wet work abroad and various methods that they use to assassinate people. It's just sort of what they do, and... Unfortunately, not a whole lot in Russia has changed. If you look at how they carry out wars, this is what they do. If you look at Russia going into Chechnya in the 90s and essentially trying to put down... The Chechens were trying to break away from Russia when the the Soviet Union fell and the Russians said no. We're not doing that. Yeah, Chechnya tried to claim its own independence after the collapse of the Soviet Union and and make their own state. And the Chechnya is a unique part of the Russian Federation. It's largely Muslim, whereas, well, I guess at this point, most of Russia is Christian, although in the Soviet Union, they had no official religion. Communism was the, was the religion of the day. But yeah, when you look at what Russia did 
in Chechnya, they just, it was indiscriminate bombing. Mm -hmm. It was just going to level the city and we're going to fire as much artillery and as many missiles into Grozny, which was a Chechen capital. And if you look at those images, it it is just, it looks like World War II. Mm -hmm. And it looks like Allied bombing, especially of, of Japan or Germany during World War II, which was indiscriminate. It was, and it's not to say it wasn't horrible, but it was also war at the time. And, and the rest of the world has decided that that is no longer acceptable and that we aren't going to carry out operations that way. Part of the reason Iraq went the way it went is because while there were some notable exceptions, the U.S. tried to prevent civilian casualties. Right. And Russia just doesn't care about that. And it's pretty clear based on their conduct in Syria later on that they have been honing this particular style of warfare for almost a couple decades now, where you've got the let's go ahead and just cause as much terror and as many civilian casualties as we possibly can as a way to intimidate the other side into giving up. There's no other real reason for this that I can see besides pure, let's see if we can scare them. Yeah, and, and part of what's happening in Ukraine now is Russia has accepted that this war could go on for a very long time. And they know that there is not going to be a huge immediate breakthrough. They're not going to march on the Capitol and, and tomorrow or a week or a month, probably even a year if if the war continues that long. So they have been targeting civilian infrastructure. They've been targeting power plants and really just trying to make it difficult for the Ukrainians to keep their normal lives going, keep the lights on, keep going to school, have the trains run, have clean water, have all these things. And part of it is about convincing people to leave. Right. And it's, it's, it's scaring them. It's, it, they want, they know that if this is going to be a long, grueling struggle, the people of Ukraine who can get out are going to look at this and say, well, I don't want, I don't want to die. I don't want my family to die. And if people can leave, a lot of them are. So it is, it's kind of a war of attrition. These missiles are landing far from the front line. Maybe Russia meant to hit the apartment building. Maybe the missile went off course. It was supposed to go somewhere else and it landed in the apartment building. According to Business Insider, these are aircraft carrier killer missiles. They are intended for ship-to-ship warfare, and they're intended to take out aircraft carriers. So the question of how precise one can be with this particular ordinance, I mean, aircraft carriers are quite large. You don't need as much precision necessarily. So it's really kind of hard to say, but it's interesting that Russia is at a point now where they're using stuff like that against civilian apartment buildings. Yeah. Why do you why do you need that uh, hundreds of miles from the front line? Right. What exactly were you targeting here that is part of the war effort? I guess when we, we start to look at it and think about it, and we talked about Grozny and, and what Chechnya looked like, and that's exactly what Mariupol looked like after Russia was done with it. I mean, the images out of that place were, it's just complete, utter desolation and destruction and there's it's just it's 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 difficult to even 
picture it in my mind and and imagine the amount of suffering and and death and it's horrible every single one of those bomb explosions bullet holes everything you see that was somebody's life there were people there there was somebody that had you know a family they had their kids in that area it was imagine that many people's lives that you see being disrupted by something that really just didn't have to happen this was a war of choice this was not something that Russia was forced into by any stretch of the imagination. They decided that they wanted it back. They wanted Ukraine again, and this is how they were going to get it. And that is, at least to me, one of the clearer moral pictures that we've seen in quite some time about who's responsible for all of this and who could stop it anytime they want to, because you're not seeing these kinds of pictures from inside Russia. You're not seeing, you know, apartment buildings in Moscow lately blown up with ordinance like this. You're not seeing scenes of playgrounds being bombed out in St. Petersburg. You've seen some attacks on some military installations, but no, there is not a a broader effort to target residential buildings or civilian infrastructure in Russia. This is a result of Russia not giving a damn. And that's that's a pretty consistent theme of Russia's behavior for at least the mm-hmm. last hundred years. It, it, they just, they don't value life the way that we do. And they just don't seem to have too much of a problem with these attacks. They're certainly not changing what they're doing. They're certainly not calling off the war. They're certainly not saying, uh, now we have to sue for peace. They are attempting to wipe Ukraine off the map in any way that they can. And if they can't march straight to Kiev and take the capital, if they can't assassinate Zelensky, and if they can't have that full and total victory in a day, then they are just going to chip away at at everything that makes Ukraine mm-hmm. whole. And, and that's what we see. And then we see the immediate response from the pro-Kremlin voices of apologizing for it, of explaining it away, of, oh, well, we, we, oh, someone said it was a, it was an anti-aircraft missile that caused the explosion. Well, then that's just the price of war. That's just what happens. If only there weren't so many neo-Nazis running the Ukrainian government, we wouldn't have to do this. And, Mm -hmm. and it just repeats and it'll, it'll repeat again. And it's terrible. This is why Ukraine has to win. At some point, this has to stop. At some point, they can't keep being able to go in and kill indiscriminate numbers of civilians when they decide that they want to either back up a regime that they have ties with, like in Syria, or they decide they want a little more territory, like what they're doing in Ukraine right now. They cannot keep being allowed to do this. And it honestly seems like here we are. We are at that point where. There just isn't really any going back to how it was in, you know, 2021. And that's why we see this latest news. And this is in The Guardian of the UK confirming it will send Challenger 2 tanks to Ukraine. And they're pressuring Germany to increase their support as well. So they're currently trying to convince the Germans to supply Leopard tanks to Ukraine. And... Elon Musk, being the moron that he is, recently got into a fight over... (laughs) whether or not tanks are obsolete and genius 
I don't know if he how intentional he is with his Kremlin propaganda, but my God, he has got <laughs> some of the worst fucking people in the world in his ear telling hey. him, well, why are you... Yeah, oh, don't send you send send tanks. Why would they even do that? There's no point. And and so yeah, you think do you think Russia wants the West to send tanks to Ukraine? Uh no, they do not. They most definitely do not. That is one of the last things they want. Yes, they would much rather you say, "Oh, tanks are irrelevant and don't even bother because what's the point?" They they maybe they won't even use them or something. We're going to talk about tanks. Russia's tanks have not performed well. And what part of the Russian military has performed well? It has become kind of a joke because of Russia's incompetence. But no, let's not talk about Russia's incompetence. Maybe they're just abandoning the tanks because they're they're not even useful anymore. Sure. No, that's not it. That's totally what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe some of the Russian tanks aren't great because uh, Russia, as we're finding out, running a mafia state that skims everything off the top and sells everything off for far. Uh, does not a well-oiled military machine make. But yeah, let's send tanks. Let's train Ukrainians in the US and the UK on whatever technology they need. Russia's always going to have that threat of using nuclear weapons. They're always going to pull that out. And it is a a non-zero threat. I think we're of the opinion that it could happen. Mm -hmm. And it is scary. But it's also one of the best arguments I saw of that recently was someone saying that essentially it's a threat and it's a concern. But if Russia uses nuclear weapons, they're going to use it in Ukraine and Ukrainians are willing to take that risk. And fair enough, if they are the ones doing the fighting, they are the ones living through this. They are the ones trying to survive. So let's keep helping them. Indeed, definitely. Because if they're willing to risk it, then that's that's their country. They don't have a choice. If they want to keep being free, that's the choice they have to make. It's either bend the knee to Russia or risk the idea that Russia's going to drop some kind of nuclear weapon on them. Terrible choice. Well, speaking of war criminals, Sebastian Murdoch over at the Huffington Post released a bombshell story that included the text exchange between InfoWars owner Alex Jones and the most popular cable news host in the country, Tucker Carlson. Now, some people might still expect there to be a degree of separation between the most popular guy at Fox News and a conspiracy theorist so vile that even Elon Musk won't let him back on Twitter. Nevertheless, these guys are actually old friends, and their political messaging, themes, and narratives on their shows aren't all that different. You read this. What really stuck out to you here? I was a little surprised at how often they're talking. I I don't know about you. I I know they're friends. I expect them to have some sort of weird, quote unquote, libertarian, far right. Ron Paul introduced us at a at a function 15 years ago, kind of bromance. But why are they talking that often? Why is Alex Jones texting Tucker and, and he's replying to this all the time? I I wasn't surprised with with these communications because like looking at Media Matters and and they've covered this, Tucker Carlson to Alex Jones in 2015, Obama is pushing Nazi racial politics. Like it's it's been it's been pretty clear for a while now that these guys just aren't very far apart on their quote unquote politics, on their No, they really aren't. No, the the messaging there's just not much separation here and in another life like alex jones could be the 
the show right before Tucker, or Tucker could be a co-host on InfoWars. And really, it is worth saying that six years ago, 2015, yeah, Tucker was going on Alex Jones because Tucker was kind of an outcast. Fox News, he'd had a show and then he lost it and he was kind of out in the wilderness. He started Daily Caller, which is a right-wing media org, and and they were having some success, but really he was kind of on the outs and he didn't really make it big again until Trump. And Alex Jones, we know, went from relative obscurity, but a very fervent and right. uh, unhinged fan base to a more mainstream because of Trump. Yeah. And Alex Jones definitely went from conspiracy guy that almost no one takes seriously, except, like you said, his rabid hardcore fan base with a general distrust of government of all kinds to all of a sudden, okay, well, Trump's great. Let's all get behind this guy. He's the guy we've been waiting for. What is, yeah, what, what is QAnon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, is Trump saving the children? And, and then Trump would go retweet some people who said he was. And, and all, these, all these lines where it used to be like, here's what politics is. And here's this crazy fringe that it's actually a scandal if you're talking to these people. Or it's a scandal if they agree with you. Or it's unacceptable to be on the same page with InfoWars. And then suddenly it was like, wow, going on InfoWars was kind of like a promotion or kind of like a, it was as part of your book tour or something. You, Oh, I got a blurb for from Alex Jones in my book. <laughs> like, ah, sales are just going to go up. And a lot of this, I think, is is well, it's Roger Stone. It's um, mm-hmm. Roger started going on Infowars 2015, 2016. And by 2017, he had a pretty much a regular show on there. And he and Alex got pretty close. I know one of the text exchanges that came out before Tucker and Alex Jones talking was the apparently the information that uh, Alex Jones sent nude pics of his ex-wife to Roger Stone. <laughs> because, Great. Because that... Yeah, that's the kind of relationship that they apparently had. And it, and it's no surprise. Of course, they all hate women. Their MAGA is uh, the bedrock of MAGA is a rather hard line on misogyny. And if you're not a misogynist, you're not going to fit in real well. That's for sure. Yeah. You have to have a certain, like you said, baseline, real contempt and hate for women. And that's the price of admission. That's the table stakes to to hang out with these people. What I really find interesting about that article is the first paragraph of the Huffington Post article, and I'm going to quote it here. In early March 2020, as the coronavirus pandemic began its onslaught across the country, Fox News host Tucker Carlson drove to then-President Donald Trump's Florida resort to warn him to take the virus more seriously. People you know will get sick. Carlson said on his show later that night after visiting Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Some may die. This is real. That's the point of this script, to tell you that. This surprising warning was noticed by Alex Jones, a far-right conspiracy theorist better known for spreading lies about the parents of dead children and hawking overpriced supplements on his platform. Jones texted Carlson a link on March 16, 2020, to a now-deleted InfoWars article called Tucker Carlson drove to Mar-a-Lago to warn Trump that coronavirus was a real threat. The subhead read, Fox News host saves America. I tried, man, Carlson texted Jones back, according to a record of their conversation obtained by the Huffington Post. Yet, by the following month, 
As Trump continued to minimize the seriousness of the virus, the two right-wing media personalities agree, appeared to follow the president's lead, texting conspiracy theories with each other that downplayed the threat even as thousands of Americans were dying daily. So here's these two guys that probably between them have a lot of blood on their hands when it comes to our response to the coronavirus, how much pushback we had, how many people just refused to take it seriously, helped spread it, died as a result of this. They knew what they were doing from the jump, and yet they just went ahead and kayfabed their way through the day at that point because Trump, for whatever reason, didn't want to go along with this. They were just totally fine with, okay, well, we know what the right thing to do is here, but it's not going to make us any money, so let's just go ahead and get on board with the party line. And that's just so reprehensible that, ah, fuck. But it, yeah, it's not surprising nope. in the least. And it's it's also how you know they're, well, they're not journalists. They're not people who had an opinion and it was wrong. And then they came around to a new idea. It's, no, we knew what was right and we knew what was wrong. And it didn't fit the narrative of the grand poobah of the party. It did not fit the conspiracy bullshit that trump was going to tweet out the next day so they just let it go and yeah for that brief moment they were maybe apparently trying to be human and trying to convince trump to do the right thing but then he didn't and they just said oh well we'll do what he says we'll go with him and yeah that that does mean a lot of people died and I, it is it is a weird dynamic when you look back at covid because it russia kind of dealt with the same issue alex jones has pushed anti-vax stuff for years and years and and the russian government is is aligned with that just trying to downplay viruses diseases and and saying the vaccines are the real threat the real problem it's all about distrusting authority and sowing division chaos and all this but then COVID hit and it was real and it was scary and people knew it and knew something needed to be different but you haven't cared for the longest time the statistics weren't enough to change your opinion or to alter your behavior or anything you just well okay more anti-vaxxers exist now and yeah maybe some of it's my fault but who's to say but but the the immediacy the scale of covid made guys like jones made the russian government say oh we 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 got to get vaccines out there this might be a real problem now this might be the big one yeah but people's minds don't change that quickly. They don't they don't immediately go from, oh, yeah, I totally buy all your big pharma conspiracies and all the things you've been preaching for a decade plus. But, oh, you say this is serious and it's different. Oh, OK, sure. Like that, that, they don't turn on a dime like that. Maybe Alex Jones has the power to convince people that vaccines are bad over weeks and months and years of listening to him. He can't just flip a switch and then it goes back to normal. You can't reset. It's the whole problem with Trump himself is that you push all this conspiracy nonsense into the atmosphere and you can't bring it back. Once you get people thinking that George Soros is behind this thing or that thing or this city's collapse and you believe that that big big pharma is intentionally killing you with opioids or that that 
vaccines are going to give your kids autism, all these things. You once you convince people of this, well, they're they're looking for the next conspiracy. They're looking for the next quote unquote lie to uncover. Maybe if anything, it does reveal some of the naivete of Jones and Carlson because maybe they can try to convince themselves that it's a game and their audience knows that it's a game. And, and yeah, I'm saying all these reprehensible, terrible things and pushing these conspiracies and advocating white nationalism and all this stuff. But my, my audience knows it's not real or, or they know I'm kidding. But once I tell them that this is serious and this is different, they'll just listen to me. It's like, no, you, that's, that's not how people work. You fed them this brain poison and it's, change their entire outlook on the world and you you can't control this no you can't and they absolutely built that monster as it were they fed that monster a steady diet of propaganda a steady diet of this is the new world order is out to get you the globalists are out to get you don't take vaccines. Don't buy a thing. Big Pharma says you don't need any of that. You just need my supplements. You need, you know, colloidal silver. You need all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden to get smacked in the face with the idea of, oh, shit, here's the find out. And you if you go back and look at the stuff that Jones has said and and the the documented claims over the years, all these, I think... He's got all these documentaries, quote unquote documentaries, and all these, well, the articles that have since been deleted. And he had all the radio uh, shows where the people that have been listening to this, they haven't heard it once or or 10 times. They've heard it hundreds and thousands of times. I, I'm looking at a New York Mag article from 2011. A strange man is following you. And it's about <laughs> Alex Jones. And it's a it's kind of quaint in the way that it talks about who he is and it starts a shadowy group of elites mainly international bankers but also George Bush, Barack Obama, the Clintons, most of the mainstream media, the Saudi royal family and Google is trying to enslave the earth's population through orchestrated terror attacks and revolutions, vast economic manipulations. <laughs> vaccines and fluoride and an ever widening system of surveillance that includes Facebook. And, and you look at the, the actual quote of, of something that, that Jones was saying at the time, 2011 quote, the globalists have stolen the world's power, their big dream. And that all they talk about is creating a super bioweapon, basically based on mouse pox and just turn it loose and kill almost everybody. It kills about 99% of whatever mammal you design it for. It's their Valhalla, and you're going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, okay, it wasn't mousepox, but like, I mean, this is nine years before before COVID existed out in the world in the in the public consciousness before a the COVID pandemic hit, and you've been telling people for years and years that they've been going, they've been planning this, they've they've been working against you it's it's going to happen and they're going to unleash it on the world and it's all an orchestrated plot by the the globalists and all this and like you think they're gonna listen to reason no you (laughs) almost they're gone (laughs) they're gone this is just it's it's past fixing easily at that point and this is where you find yourself thinking like how are we going to continue with a chunk of the country that this is literally how they think and doesn't it make you think 
about Trump too. Remember, he's a well, God, I mean, now at this point, he's upper 70s. He's a he's a 70 year old man who likes to get spray tans. And he loves to look at uh, photoshopped images of him in a in a Superman outfit like they want to portray him as this alpha male and all this and like trump is yes he's just a boomer and he we know he was listening to alex jones he went on alex jones show in 2015 and tucker and and alex jones are i think in both in their 50s and trump's a different generation he's 20 at least 20 years older than them like he's he's their audience that they have brain poisoned <laughs> yeah it and is, huh? it does make you look <laughs> when you think about how much of a slam dunk it would have been for him politically if he had just taken COVID seriously. And it was such an obvious slam dunk that, that Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson knew it and tried to get him on board, but he couldn't or, or wouldn't or probably both because he bought their bullshit too, because he believed it because there was no, Oh, I'm, I'm just acting this crazy and acting like I believe these things and the whole injecting myself to disinfect and destroy the virus was, oh no, that was just Trump's 40 chess. It's like, no, he's just a boomer who actually believed this stuff. Yeah. And then you got to ask yourself why he believed it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird dealing with this space because sometimes you do, you do run into that problem of, are they really like this or is this an act? Like you look at guys who who get radicalized and, and it kind of in a lot of cases starts off as a joke, as a game, but either then they start to buy their own material or it starts to make them a lot of money. And then they, so the, the crazy conspiracy theory or the white nationalist talking point or whatever it is, they double down on because, hey, this, I'm making a living doing this. And then at a certain point, mm-hmm they are that thing or, or they can't, they can't turn it off. And, and then it shapes how they look at everything going on in the world. And it's, it becomes a self-sustaining like, cycle. After a while you feed, you know, the, yeah, you're consuming the media that allows you to believe this stuff. You're creating the media in some of these cases that allows you to believe this stuff. You just, you end up so deep in the thick of it that, it just keeps going and there's no chance to break that cycle. Yeah. So you, you rewire your brain, essentially. It gets to the point where you just instinctively know how to respond to a thing. So you don't you don't see COVID as, oh my God, this terrible outbreak of a pandemic and all of these people are going to die and what can I do to stop it? I think in this sort of mindset, it's, well, who did it? Why did they do it? What's the greater plan? How are they trying to control me with this? Because they can't accept any any sort of mainstream mm-hmm. argument. And we, we see this with everything. We see this with whether it's it's Joe Biden and the and the documents. It it can't just be that he did something wrong. It can't just be here's a real scandal that occurred and let's focus on that. It's no, it's it's China and it's Hunter Biden and it's something with a laptop. I think part of their constant need for content too is they don't all just want to be repeating themselves. Everyone wants to uncover another layer of the of the conspiracy, of the scandal. So they just start saying stuff because maybe they say the right thing and then Tucker picks up on it and then they get a guest spot on his show and then their donations go up. I mean, they're they're always chasing that clout, chasing that clout. Always, always. 
people are going to need to turn this off if we really want to get back to the point where we are a more functional country again than we have been for the past half decade or so people are going to need to get back to reality and stop buying into this because it's almost impossible. It seems to run a functioning democracy where one side is huffing this kind of propaganda all the time and taking it seriously. Someone asked me the other day, what can I actually do about some of this? I listen to your show. I hear some of the stuff you guys talk about and it's terrible. You guys are right. All of this is awful. What's the next step? How do you turn this into action? And the honest answer I had for that person is right now, we don't know. But what we're trying to do is put together enough information and enough people who get what this information all means in the same place and try to build a solution from there. I think we can offer a different perspective. If you if you look at uh, what Russia is doing in, in Ukraine and these war crimes, if you want to find a supposed justification or it's a lie, but if you want to read someone who says, oh, no, it's not a war crime or, oh, no, that didn't happen, you can go find that. But let's talk about that person. Let's talk about their knee-jerk responses to war crimes and how they are always on the side of the Russian state. Let's talk about the funding that they're receiving to continue spreading those messages. Let's talk about Tucker Carlson and how concerning it is that the most popular cable news host is a white nationalist who is friendly with Alex Jones and has been for a long time. Let's not talk about just the one-off isolated incidents that are terrible but let's let's break down why they're lying what they're trying to accomplish we need to spread those messages we need to make more people aware but i think you can also confront the people who are doing this lying with those contradictions and they can't answer it they don't have an explanation that makes sense. They are surviving and they are in some cases thriving because they aren't really challenged. So let's find a way right. to challenge them in a way that makes them uncomfortable. Which is the goal of what we're trying to do here at the end of the day, trying to find a way to make these people as uncomfortable as we possibly can. So they don't like what we are doing. So we keep doing that. I think one thing that I've thought about and come around on is demonetizing like one of the biggest things is there need to be consequences for just lying and causing misery and suffering and having just this sort of reckless abandon for it. Because if you look at those texts with Tucker and Alex Jones, they knew what they were doing. They knew they were lying about COVID and vaccines and masks, and they're still doing it. They're going to keep doing it because it it's more beneficial for them. But shouldn't there be consequences for that? If the facts are clear, if it's obvious that they're lying, we know they're lying, science, experts, all of these things can prove that they're lying, shouldn't there be consequences for that? And I, I think what I came around on is, at least initially, it was this idea that, well, they can say these things because it's free speech. That's fine. You can have your free speech. You can go yell in a courtyard or on the side of the road or whatever it is, but you don't get to come back on Twitter and have a million followers and do a Twitter space where you call your Mike Flynn 
and you call COVID a, a bioweapon, reach a brand new audience because the richest man, in, well, second richest man in the world decided that I'm going to use human beings as my experiments and guinea pigs. And yeah, I'm going to say this is about free speech. And so we're just going to let everybody talk and it'll just sort itself out. Correct. I think we have ample evidence that it will not sort itself out. So they can whine and bitch and complain as much as they want about, oh, you're destroying my free speech. No, you're lying. You're lying and it's hurting people and it's bad. It's bad for you and me. And there are victims all over this country, all over the world who have made poor decisions because of the things that you have said and done. And granted, those people made a choice. Everyone gets to make a choice. You either get to believe the bullshit or you you don't or you actually try to find the middle the middle ground somewhere but aren't we supposed to protect the vulnerable aren't we aren't we supposed to do something and and look this just isn't working the first amendment is not a suicide pact exactly you are asking us to take this principle and essentially agree to the downfall of society two people who don't believe in this principle at all they believe in this principle up to the point where it wrecks things. Yeah. Because you know damn well that if these people were in charge, there wouldn't be free speech. Hell no. Go look at Russia. Go look at China. Do they get to speak freely? No, absolutely would not. Well, and there was a report out in, I think it was the Washington Post recently, that Elon Musk personally approved the ban of a left-wing anti-fascist activist, Chad Loader. That was at Elon's directive, the free speech absolutist, which, yeah, we know it's a lie, but like he's listening to his right-wing audience. They've whined and moaned and complained about free speech for the longest time, and now they are taking every opportunity to silence and ban any of their opposition because they can, because it's never been about free speech. And so it's not an honest argument. It's going to turn into a smear. If you really get on board with demonetizing and deplatforming these people, yeah, it's going to be a smear. And yeah, they're going to come after you. But fine. I don't want kids to die of preventable diseases. Let's take their money. Let's take their platforms. They can go lie on Telegram or whatever new place that pops up, but they don't get this audience. They don't get this platform. They don't get as much money. They don't get as many followers. They don't get the same amount of influence. They're they're still going to go around. No one is going to prevent them from speaking. But yes, there should be consequences. Yes, we have to do something because it's it's not working and it's getting worse. Enough already. Enough already. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.